Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black, and gravedigger Phelps. The Island College Basketball Podcast is, of course, presented by Jersey Mike Subs. Jersey Mike's a sub above. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like your brain and Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. This is not when uh, we usually do episodes. If you're watching live on YouTube, you know it's uh, a little after 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern. Uh, on Sunday morning. So this is an unusual time, but we wanted to go ahead and get this episode done uh, earlier than normal because today is, I don't know if you heard, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, also I got a tea time, and uh, also uh, pretty much everything we were ever going to talk about on Sunday's episode was going to happen on Saturday anyway. Only one ranked team has a <laughs> Sunday game. It's number one, Purdue. <laughs> we, we, we've talked a lot about Purdue in recent weeks, so we'll, yeah. we'll get back to the Boilermakers later in the week, regardless of what happens with them on, on a Sunday afternoon. We decided to not wait for Purdue and go head-to-head we, with Church. Uh, that's right. We're going head-to-head with Church every single time. I'm not scared to go head-to-head with Church. More of us? Two. <sighs> More of us? I, I know. Listen. I don't know if I love the grave digger Phelps there. Uh, you know, the man's getting up there in age. I just don't want us to run into a spot where that might not be the most appropriate intro. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe we rethink that. <laughs> it also sounds like you're putting him in the ground at the start of every episode. Yeah, I killed digger Phelps. That's, I'm that's just that's saying, I just, I'm just, I can't, I got to mention it. This is the third one in a row. I didn't know if it was a one-time thing. We might want to think that one through some more. And then we have we have cursed Purdue. So when Purdue loses later today against Northwestern, our apologies. We'll get to that on the next episode. That's if I if I run the Illinois train right off the tracks and kill Digger Phelps in the same season, put me in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. No. I don't think that's where you're going if that happens. I want to go to the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame as the person who just kept screwing up things and then decided to go head to head with church. Not scared to go head to head with church. Mm-hmm. Anything, um, anything of note happened yesterday, GP? Or a rare Sunday morning episode? And geez, uh, right onto the on ramp here. There's, <laughs> there, there's, a, there's some big surprising news from Saturday. I don't. Woo. Duke can't catch a break. Game uh, officials again. are no longer allies of the Blue Devils. It appears they yeah. screwed Duke. The refs did. Saturday at the end of regulation in what was an eventual overtime loss at Virginia. few hours after the game went final, late Saturday, the ACC announced, the, the league office, uh, what we all knew in real time, which is that the uh, refs, they, they screwed Duke at the end of regulation in that eventual loss 
at Virginia. If for the sake of the conversation, you'll agree. Come on, Duke. Even if you run a Virginia fan account, if for the sake of the conversation, you'll agree that Cal Filipowski, a 77% free throw shooter, would have likely, not definitely, but likely, Mm. at least made one of two free throws at the end of regulation, then you have to agree that the officials literally calls Duke a quad one win on the road against the top 10 team dead leg. Everybody uh, knows it's hard to replace a legend. And even harder when you don't get the same calls that the legend would have gotten. Where were you, Matt Norlander, yeah. when, when you realized the officials are out to get Duke and you're one of the John Shire era? I was sitting there at the CBS Sports HQ desks in the studio in Stanford, Connecticut, next to the great Hakeem Dermish. And this, this was the moment when it became Tony Bennett's league. That's basically what happened on Saturday. Because this is, and I, I fully agree. We're already seeing in the comments. You saw it yesterday. I, Hakeem even brought it up to me on the HQ show. If Shashevsky is on the sidelines, or if this is at Cameron, Filipowski's going to the line. It, and, shoot, it, and they're going to give him eight free throws. Okay, they would give him eight free throws. They'd say, hold up. That's Coach K's team. Eight free throws at the bottom. That's not where Shashevsky was yesterday. You know where he was? <laughs> the garden. <laughs> he was at St. John's Friars. Friars Johnny's. He went to see Mike Anderson re-energize also, his career. Golden Mike, Gate Mike. Coach K went to see Golden Gate Mike on Super Bowl Eve. I know. Who had that? Who who had that? Who called Nobody. that one? Although, to those who are unaware, the athletic director at St. John's is Mike Craig was a long-time administrator. What is going on? All these the mics just hang out together? Office. All these mics just hang out together? Is That's that what's right. going on? Yeah, triple Mike. Yeah, I, I, I need to. I, I guess I need to go see what Gary Payton and Gary Payton Jr. are up to. Well, you might actually need to do that. <laughs> we might need some some clarity on that before give him the end a of shot. The day. Give him a shot. I need to give him exactly. a shot to play. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a lot to get to with this whole situation. Yes, the ACC late on Saturday. I'm not going to read the whole statement, but they handled it wrong. It was incorrect. Um, I did have this, uh, the only soundbite the podcast was able to acquire from the officials who didn't supply uh, an official comment. Um, the ruling at the end of that play at regulation, I think this was Jeff Anderson. Here's what he said. Defense. Oh, okay. All right. So it was just defense. Okay. Here's the deal. Jeff Anderson, by the way, was involved in back-to-back controversial endings. I did go and check and see if it was a Higgins situation with this schedule. It is not. Jeff Anderson, uh, he worked three games in four days. I got no issue with that. He worked Providence, Georgetown, and Rhode Island on Wednesday. Had the day off for travel Thursday. Called Butler Xavier Friday. That was a 7 o'clock tip. And then they tipped off in Seaville on Saturday at 4 o'clock. I don't have an issue with that. But I did check just in case this was like a six games and seven day situation. It wasn't. However, and Xavier fans have been probably gritting their teeth even more so after this because... Here's the deal. On Friday night, before we even get to the Duke, Virginia stuff, on Friday night, you know, bang, bang play near the end of the game. Xavier's at Butler. And Xavier didn't play well enough when Sean Miller had zero issue with the call because he admitted, and he's right, Xavier did not play well enough to win the game. It didn't deserve to win the game. Butler deserved to win it. But Anderson called a goaltending on Jack Nungy, and Anderson was at half court. You almost never get that. It was actually... Probably more of Colby Jones, if you're going to call the goaltender, but they called it on the wrong guy, period. And so they, they, but, 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 
I thought they got that call right. I thought that was I, I I looked at the video a couple of times. I actually thought that Nunji got the block and it was more Colby coming in from help. That would have been the goaltend. But hit the rim, they hit the rim. They got the rim on it. But I think it, it wasn't Nunji that did that. It was Colby Jones. But they, but the point is, Anderson made the call from half court on Nunji and it was the incorrect call on Nunji. It would have been Colby it, wrong in technicality, maybe right in spirit. That's all. I just bring that up to say, I, I, OK, I'm with you. I'm with that. Sure. Same official back to back nights. Now. This play goes down. First of all, the supreme irony of Kyle Filipowski being in this spot. He's been Duke's leading scorer. Jeremy Roach is the team's most important slash probably best player. But Filipowski has been leading the team in scoring, you know, 15 and a half per game going into Saturday. He was scoreless. In fact, if you'd actually watched the trend line, he had gone from, he had dropped 29 on Virginia Tech and subsequently to that GP. In each game, he went down to 18, then 16, then 14, then nine. He did not have a point in this game. And so for the ball to end up in his hands, Tyrese Proctor, that was almost a five second call, but five seconds is really six seconds. I'm not going to quibble on that. I've heard the chirping from Virginia fans. He should have been called for the five second call. They shouldn't have even gotten the imbalance pass. I'm just not going to parse on that because five seconds really is six officials always give you a beat he got the beat one more and i get it but it was super 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 tight that he got it in there and then the drive to the hoop i thought it was a phenomenal display of athleticism between all these players because it gets down to okay did they foul him before it goes triple zero well it's also you know the the Filipowski, when he goes airborne, has the right to land safely. Okay. Had he been on the ground, it's a different kind of situation. But once he leaves the ground to make the attempt, he's allowed to land safely, even if that comes after triple zeros. Beekman makes an awesome play. To me, it's hand on ball first, but then it's forearm on forearm before we get to triple zeros. But the thing that makes the ACC look worse in all this, GP, is that even with the statement, did you pick up on this? Because, listen, there is there is JFK-level Zapruder film right now with this play from the alternate angle, which I'm still not convinced is in contact against Beekman. But in the ACC statement, and this must have been said on the broadcast or over the arena, but I was in the HQ studio. I didn't have the, I didn't have the volume up on this game when it happened. They called the foul on Ryan Dunn. I actually don't see a lot of contact by Dunn on the play, but he's the one that was assessed the call. So th- to me, this was a botch all around, and I cannot remember a time when something like this has ever happened. I'm sure it has. I'm just telling you, I've, I've been searching through my brain the, for any other time where we had an end-of-game situation and there was a bang-bang play, a foul was called, and then it was subsequently overturned slash reversed. That's was ex- exactly what happened here. The fact that it involved Duke makes it even more shocking, and the officials screwed it up. I just don't understand how they blew it like this. Most people realized in real time what was actually happening there. I uh, there are def- There's a faction of people that... Um, that are all ball truthers. Like there are people out there that think Beekman got nothing but ball. I want to be clear on this. It was a phenomenal defensive play. And Reese Beekman's one of the best defenders in the country. It was awesome. That the was only pe- the only people who think this wasn't a foul. They pleasured themselves to cow guy. All right. Fair enough. It was an incredible play between two awesome athletes meeting at the top, meet me at the summit and Beekman just gets him enough. 
It just gets them enough. I actually, if it would have been a no call, it would have been controversial as well. But I actually think the athleticism on display there was was really, really awesome. Filipowski should have been going to the line. Now, he would have had to made one. He hadn't had a point on the board. So there's no guarantee. But the, the chances are he's sinking at least one of those. Duke gets a road win. And they, uh, what do you want from me? Shire, I'll take it after this, GP. Shire got robbed. I mean, he... He even said afterward, he and Bennett, they never got an explanation. Now, they're probably going to get one maybe privately from the league today. Maybe, I guess. And I was surprised the ACC actually was, it wasn't fast enough, but I was surprised to put out a statement as uh, as it did on Saturday there. Shire's going through everything in year one, man. I mean, between illnesses and injuries and bad losses and the ups and downs of it all, he is uh, he is really checking off every box of ma- imaginable of the head coaching experience. So that's a rough one. And I am all too aware that there are many, 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 many people that are like, oh, Duke got screwed. Where's my violin? I know that. I know you are out there as well. That's not I don't care about that. We're talking about what actually happened and how the the official screwed up this end of game protocol. They did. And because of that, it flipped the game. Virginia got the win and credit to Virginia once they got to OT because Duke had the time. Duke had all the opportunity in overtime. Didn't take advantage of it. Virginia gets the win. Here we are. I, I hate the idea that well they still went the overtime they had a chance to win no no, they should have had a chance to win at the end of regulation like every time something like this happens there's somebody out there real eager to point out um there's a lot of plays in a game and no one play decides a game yes sometimes one play does decide a game and that was the perfect example of it a perfect example of it yeah yeah i know there are missed calls and missed shots and made shots for 40 minutes of a regulation college basketball game but when you are tied in the final seconds and you are fouled going to the basket and it's actually like the whistle is blown and it's called a foul and you're supposed to be shooting free throws and then they overturn it for no good reason in fact for all wrong reasons then they cost you a game they cost you a game the refs cost Duke a quad one win on the road over a top 10 team. That is undeniable to any reasonable human being. And they're coming know, for you. That's fine. I, I, I understand this point. Yeah, they're wrong. They were, John Adams used to run all the officials. All right. Yes. Yes. He, he's on Twitter saying, okay, of course it was a foul, but even the ACC's explanation is wrong because they say it was a foul that came after. The clock hit all zeros, but even um, but but and 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 the refs said because here's here's apparently what happened. Tell me if I get any of this wrong. Okay. The refs looked at it and said the foul comes on all zeros, so it's not a foul. Mm-hmm. And the ACC said the shot comes before it's all zeros. So even if the foul the contact comes after all zeros, it is still a foul. And then because John Adams he's, because he's airborne because he's airborne. Right. He has the right to land safely without obstruction. And then John Adams jumps on Twitter and says, well, like, OK, they're right in the sense that even if the contact came after all zeros, if the shot came before all zeros, then it's a foul. But the truth is, the contact, the foul came before all zeros, which is what I see when I watch that. I agree. I mean, so if you're somebody arguing a, against this, you're literally arguing with the ACC and John Adams. Like, like, may, like it's like it's like arguing with Beyonce about how to perform something. Like, what are you talking about? Like, just it, this is the thing I can never understand. If you're a Virginia fan, just here's what you should say. Oh, boy, we got away with one there. And I don't even mind it because we're trying to win another <laughs> ACC title. 
It's yeah. fine. Appreciate your good fortune, but don't deny it's good fortune. That's just dumb. Um, yeah, and, 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 they, here's the, yeah. and here's the thing that makes it like 50 times worse than what it otherwise would have been. Here's the truth. Blow that whistle. Don't blow that whistle in real time. I don't care. I mean, I, 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 given the benefit of slow motion HD replay, agreed, 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 agreed. Given the benefit of slow motion HD video, I think it's a foul. You should have blown the whistle. But in real time, blow the whistle. Don't blow the whistle. Boy, I understand. I get it. It's a really tough play live. But once you call it a foul, there is no scenario you can go to that monitor and overturn that. That is outrageous. And it, I do not think they do that to Mike Krzyzewski. I mean, that was the easy go-to joke. Like, but it's know. also based in logic and practice. Yeah, I don't think there is no way they overturn that for Mike They overturn that on Mike Krzyzewski. There's Those no way. Those are never working a game again if this happens in K's on the sideline. I had somebody who is, uh, you know, familiar. I just put familiar with the Duke program who said he thought John should have, like, lost it and got a technical even going into overtime <laughs> on that just to show you can't do this to me. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I get the sentiment because they did that to him in a way that they would not have done that to Kay. And even – and I, I can't interpret what was said in the handshake line, but it looked like Tony Bennett even was like yeah. – even was like, yo, man, that's that's tough. Like, I don't know if he went so far as to say, you guys got screwed. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I think like, if you really zoom in, it's like, yo, man, that's tough. Uh, suck it. And then they kept walking. <laughs> no, and Tony seemed to – and I've seen other coaches do this before, like seem to acknowledge, yo, that's a, that's a rough one, man. That's a rough one because it was. They got it wrong. And again, not just getting it wrong live, I don't have a problem with because that's just that's part of that is actually part of basketball. Yeah. But but getting it wrong on the monitor, that should not happen the way that happened. I agree, which brings me to my last point, and that is and I said this on HQ. Game happens this you know they 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 overturn the call it's 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 just hard to accept uh but if this happened in the NCAA tournament it, first of all the story would be five times as big 10 times as big duke in the tournament are you kidding me um but when that happens the NCAA because it runs the tournament the NCAA is not running this Virginia duke game the ACC is running it you will have a, a designated pool reporter from the media will go and meet with the lead official from a game. And that official will provide a statement to the pool reporter. Even that process can be improved a little bit, but at bare minimum, when there's a controversial call or non-call, something that happens that is impacted by officiating, after the game, we are guaranteed a statement from the NCAA and it's officiating and there's a head of officials. Um, there's a new guy actually in charge of it this year, Chris Rastatter. We'll see how he goes in year one. This is actually pretty a pretty good tune-up to this kind of stuff. That is not the case with these leagues, and it needs to change, okay? If you are an official and you make a call and it is of grave consequence that literally can flip, that does flip the outcome of a game, right? Or determines whether or not it goes to overtime, one team wins versus one team loses. The officials need to be held to a higher account. It's not that hard. You'll keep your job. After a game, you know, the home venue. So in this case, Virginia is hosting the game. It, it determines by the media that's going there. Some One reporter, at minimum, is determined before tip 
okay, if we need a pool reporter, you're that person. You get to go to the official's locker room, meet outside with the official and get the statement or ask one or two questions. And at minimum, get that because I realistically, we're never going to get to a point where you're going to have a zebra go up to the press conference dais, sit in front of 40 media members and take questions for 10 minutes. We'd love that. It's just I would never love to question happen. a zebra. At a, in a press conference setting, wouldn't that be hilarious? No, it would be. It would be. <laughs> Getting it in and out, you know what I mean. Talking through it. Yeah, exactly. So we're not going to have that, but at minimum, during the regular season, the officials need to be held to account because what what would happen there in that scenario would also help provide information or an explanation. It might not be satisfactory, but it would provide something to the coaches. I mean, as of Sunday morning, do does Tony Bennett and, and does John, John Shire, do they have any more real clarity on this? They didn't have it after the game. They get asked about it by, by the press, and they can't provide any context or information because they weren't given it. So the, the leagues need to improve their credibility and really help officials more in this by all you got to do. It, it, listen, I understand people love to get absolutely furious with the with the officials. And I think for the most part, they do an extremely hard job, extremely well. Okay, they miss calls. It's part of it. But if you just have some accountability, it helps you in the long run. That's what we need to have here. Leagues need to have their officials be willing to say something on the record, something explanatory within 10, 20, 30 minutes of a game ending so that we can have better resolution around these things and not have it dangling in the air forever and ever and ever. I think when there's a controversial call, they should actually bring a zebra into the media room. And you should get to ask a zebra questions and see how it responds. What language do you think you would ask a question to a zebra in? I say French. Okay. I don't know where to go with that. I regret <laughs> ever bringing up the word zebra. But if you want to swap out zebra for Grave Digger Phelps, I'm all for it. I hope Gig. I hope Digger Phelps is doing well. Yeah. Let's move on. All right, let's do it. Do you know how improbable it is to lose on two buzzer beaters in a four day span? rhetorical question somehow tennessee just did it we'll discuss it next but first a word from our partners robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary ai to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting technology marketing and creative legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So I don't know if you know how improbable it is to lose on two buzzer beaters in a four-day span, but Deadleg does. He tweeted that the odds are infinitesimal. Uh, you want to give that one more try? Infinitesimal. Uh, one more? Infinitesimal. Infinitesimal. Let's stop here for a second. Let's stop here for a second. You want the official uh, definition? No. I want the official story of how you even know this is a word. Like, I got a better chance of seeing the Pac-12 network 
on a television than ever hearing that word out in the wild. Even if I'm talking to a zebra, where'd you it, learn that word? It, it's 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 not a common word, but it's not infinitesimal. is not an uncommon word. It gets dropped every so often. That's a. I thought I was reading a John Gassaway tweet. <laughs> put that word out there. You know what? It might as well have been. Nobody, nobody tweets. Nobody, nobody types more words that I've never heard of than John Gasaway. That's right. Um, it means it, it is a, it is a value that is practically immeasurable, but extremely close to zero is the basically the way that I would say it. Because if you look at if you look at what Tennessee did, how about this? Let me set this up for you real quick, okay? Because I went back and I checked the play-by-play data knowing we'd hit on this. Here's the past two games, okay? I, this, it is. It's infinitesimal, all right? That's what I've been saying. Earlier in the week, playing at Vandy, okay? They, what, what happens here? All right, so Vandy had, four, uh, Vandy had four fouls to give against Tennessee, so to even set up the scenario to allow them to maybe be in position to lose the game, Tennessee keeps inbounding the ball and Vandy keeps fouling them and fouling them and fouling them just to get into the bonus. They had like two fouls with 15 seconds to go in that game. On one of those plays, Julian Phillips cuts loose, has an ocean to the hoop, and could have <laughs> taken a layup to give Vanderbilt a, a four-point lead with 11 seconds to go. He opts not to do that. Had he done it, we don't know for sure if, Vander, uh, if Tennessee would have won, but probably would have, but he doesn't take it. He just wants to bleed more clock. He winds up bleeding an extra second and a half. That doesn't even lead to foul shots. They got to inbound it again this time under the hoop. Eventually, Santiago Vescovi gets to the line. It's a one and one. He's a 79% free throw shooter. He misses the front end of the one and one with eight seconds to go. Vanderbilt gets it to half court, calls timeout. Tennessee D collapses on the driver. Kicks it out to Tyron Lawrence, cans it from the corner, time expires, Vanderbilt wins by one. That, in general, is, is such an extremely unlikely scenario. Then you go to the next game. The next game. Tennessee enters this game averaging 55 points allowed per game. It's the best defense in the country. Missouri winds up scoring more points on Tennessee than any other team so far this season. All right? It shoots better from the field. It shoots better from three-point range. It does all of it. Okay? It hit 14 threes in this game, which, by the way, is regression to the mean for the Tennessee three-point defense. I told you earlier in the season that would happen. They're at like 22%. That is not a, You cannot keep up that rate. Some of that is flat-out defensive luck. They've got an amazing defense, but that is outrageous. Okay. Vescovy on Saturday goes to the line again and misses his first shot. First of two. He's not a one-on-one. -one. He misses the first. And then, how often do you see a lane violation? They happen. The odds aren't infinitesimal for a lane violation, but Tobey Awaka steps early on Vescovy's shot. They lose the foul shot. 4.2 to go. No timeout situation. None whatsoever. Missouri has the scramble. And DeAndre Golston, this was his second like near half-court buzzer beater of the season. He did this earlier in the year to beat UCF. Outrageous. Sometimes the gods smite you. Sometimes they reward you. Tennessee has been on the uh, Rick Barnes pissed off somebody. And I don't know what he did, but we need to get to the bottom of it because to lose back to back games like this is outrageous. I I'm sure it's out. there. I feel like this actually happened. 
I was thinking about it, Paris, but I couldn't remember. I feel like there was a team in the past one or two seasons that we got on this pod and talked about. They either lost back-to-back buzzer beaters or they lost two in a three-game span. We talked about how Louisville kept losing all those games by one point, and that was that had like never happened. But I feel like maybe there was a team that got dropped in the same kind of scenario, but this almost never happens. True buzzer beaters, and, and you're done. Back-to-back games, great win for Missouri. Both teams are 19-6. and six. Louisville went, started losing games by 30, so that whole one-point thing didn't matter anymore. That's true. <laughs> but I remember, I, remember, I remember it taking yep. place. Um, yeah, it's just... Do you, th- do you subscribe to the idea that some of this f- falls on the coaching staff? Because you've been beat twice now at the buzzer in foul-up three situations. You didn't foul-up three, and here we are. Um... Uh, I'm a foul up three guy myself. I lean foul up three, but I'm not absolutely dedicated to the cause because you, it can bite you. And it does. It does. It, the, if it was a hundred percent, it would happen every time. It's not a hundred percent. You do have the occasional situation where it winds up really biting you in the ass and you wind up losing there. But I lean toward foul up three under six seconds. That's my rule under That's six right. seconds. Foul up three. That's that's what coaches have told me the data shows is it's it's, it's not because sometimes I hear people, you know, shot clocks off 17 seconds left in a game. You're up two, and you'll hear an announcer say they should foul here. You're like, no, that's too early. No, you don't do it at 17 seconds, but at six. Yeah, five. Of course. And Tennessee had opportunities in both of these games to do that and either chose not to do it or didn't properly execute the foul up three uh, strategy. I don't know if you know Jared Burson. He invented uh, ESPN Stats Info, still still owns it today. So he tweeted um, that Tennessee scored 1.42 points per possession and lost, and it's the most points per possession a losing team has scored in a Division One game since 2019. That was rare stuff. <laughs> Borderline infinitesimal. I never heard that word before. That's outrageous. Tennessee had well, now credit to Mizzou. It got up by like 17 in this game uh, and Tennessee fought back. Just unbelievable. Dude, just a, a couple of extremely unlikely endings in the sport on Saturday and Tennessee, you know, whether or not it's a valid final four team and, and the stakes of the, how the Colossus game, I don't, I don't conflate those two things. I don't think they're all that connected. This was a freaky fluky type ending there. But it's it's all the more reason if you really want to to fade on the on on the Vols. They played a really good offensive team, and that top ranked defense it just it failed them. It, it did not show up to play well at all. Tennessee had done enough to come back and win, and then you know you, you catch a guy taking a, a running thirty five footer at the buzzer, and they cash it. So you know sometimes it's just that's what's going to happen there. But Tennessee, that's the seed line knock. So oh I'm wow. Say. That's a seed line. Wow. Not, not the only team, by the way. We're getting to you, Arizona. Seed line knock for the Vols, I'm afraid. This was a team that was fighting for the one line. Uh, it's a three at best right now. Yeah, I don't think they can get to the one at this point. I mean, I'd I never agree. say never, but they've got four losses outside of quadrant one now, five losses to sub-40 net teams. This must be shocking to the Tennessee fans who just like two weeks ago uh, thought I was crazy for not having Tennessee ranked at least number two, at least number two in the top 25 and one. To have five losses to sub forty Ken Palm, te- uh, f- sub sub forty net teams on February twelfth, that's not the type of thing a a number one seed would have on its resume. 
not the type of thing a top 10 team at this point would even have on its on its resume. So on Saturday, you and I were both um, – well, I was at home. You were with CBS Sports HQ in, uh, in, in Connecticut, but we both wrote about SEC teams. I wrote about Alabama winning again, now 12-0 in the SEC. You wrote about Kentucky losing again. Now, according to most people who put together brackets, on the wrong side of the bubble. On one hand, I've seen this a little bit. Kentucky was shorthanded. What are you going to do? On the other hand, you lost to a very, at, like, at best, mediocre Georgia team. Mm-hmm. Uh, more accurately, not good Georgia team. Um, tell folks what you had to say about John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats. Well, Paris is going to drop a little knowledge here on you on Bama in just a second. Uh, you know, we go into the weekend with two preseason hype teams, two blue blood programs facing games where they're standing in tournament projections for the moment. Like it's either you're in or you're out, depending on what you do. Carolina credit to you. You, you kick butt versus Clemson. You didn't make it a game. Nothing was in doubt. You showed up home venue, all that good stuff, whatever credit to UNC got the win. Keep moving forward. We'll see if you can build on it. Kentucky failed its test and no, it did not have severe Wheeler, CJ Frederick, Case and Wallace got into some foul trouble. That didn't help, obviously, running the offense without having a reliable point guard there. I get all that. But we keep coming back to the same codas and the same song for Kentucky. And while I also wrote in that column, because I believe it, like it would be, to me, it would be lazy to say season's done, team can't make the tournament. No, Kentucky can make the tournament. It's got at Mississippi State, quad one opportunity. Home to Tennessee, quad one opportunity. At Florida, even if Florida's not that good, quad one opportunity. It's got home versus Auburn, quality win opportunity. At Arkansas to close the season, quad one opportunity. And then it'll have at least one more in the SEC tournament. Kentucky has more than enough opportunities still available to itself to make the tournament. It's there. The question is, does it have the capability of actually doing that? Because it has been up and down consistently throughout the season. Credit to winning, what, six games in a seven-game stretch and those six wins being in SEC play, including that big-time win over Tennessee, although that win, while still valuable, it just doesn't have the caching now that it did almost a month ago when they got there. I don't know, man. And it's on Cal to get this fixed. I don't know if he can get it fixed. The roster is good enough that he should. It still remains very troubling that despite having good stat lines, Shibway had what, 22 and 14? Let me bring this up again. Shibway had 20 points, 14 boards, four assists, four blocks, no turnovers, four fouls. Like he, from a stat line perspective, he played well. If you watch the game, there were multiple moments where he was a liability. And for the second straight weekend, Calipari said after this on Saturday, it was on radio, the week before it was in the presser. He's 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 saying like there are, there are moments here where he can't have Shibuya on the floor, and he's the reigning national player of the year. You just can't have this. Jacob Toppin continues to be unreliable, show flashes, and Kentucky is staring down some real bad history right now. It has made only the only other time that Kentucky has not made the tournament at least two times in three years. The only other time, or the only time to this point, it's tracking right now, not to the only time that's ever happened was the late 80s into the early 90s. And the only reason why that was the case is because Kentucky got 
caught cheating and then was on a two year postseason ban. And then they brought in Rick Pitino and he, he changed the direction of the program. So you, they literally could not go. Every other instance era since 1947, 1947, Kentucky uh, can reliably it makes the tournament almost every year, but uh, in two out of three years, it, it does not miss two in a three year stretch. And that's what it's staring down right now. Made it last year, obviously, but even last year, like the the St. Peter's loss is it's starting to feel like a hangover they can't shake. And then before that was the nine and 16 year, which is the worst year in the history of Kentucky basketball. It's the worst. There have been years where from a win percentage perspective, it's been worse. But that was in the 20s when they were playing like 16 games. That that doesn't match up to what we have here. So Calipari's legacy at this program is getting really complicated because he has the national title. The first half of it, he goes to all these final fours. And then the second half of it, it just it's getting tiresome how often like we're talking about Kentucky not meeting expectations. And to anyone, I mentioned this on HQ as well. Like if you think this is going to end with him leaving this job, it's just not going to happen. Like he's got the number one class coming in. If we are talking February 12th, 2020, 2024 about all this stuff, I hear you like then it'll be time. But that's just with the with the contract he has and the class he's got coming in. There's not going to be a separation here. They can turn it around, but you know, it just, they, again, when you watched them, you just didn't see a team that like Georgia looked like the team that was fighting for its NCAA tournament life on Saturday. In my opinion, Georgia, like Georgia just beat them. This wasn't even like, Oh, but Kentucky had a bad second half. Georgia just beat them for 40 minutes. Agreed. Yeah. Kentucky had a little bit of stuff going in the second half. And then Georgia just came back and credit to listen again, credit to Mike white for getting the win. He's actually doing a really good job in year one, showing why he was a really good coach at Florida, even if it got shaky at the end, but that's my basic takeaway on Kentucky. I mean, if you springboard on it, if you want, uh, I actually think what you, what you, if you, what you picked up on Bama was even more interesting than what Kentucky failed to do on Saturday. Well, the only thing I'll say about Kentucky is I agree. They can still turn it around and they can still make the NCAA tournament. I guess I would, while acknowledging that reality also say, what have you seen to make you think they're going to do it? Like they outside of how they played in Knoxville one day. And what we're finding out about that is like, you can be a bad team and beat Tennessee. A lot of bad teams have done it. Or at least a lot of average teams have done it. So on one hand, you look at that, you look back at that Kentucky win in Knoxville and you go, well, there they were. They went on the road, beat a top 10 team. That show, but like uh, that, that's a top, that was at the time a top 10 team that has now shown um, a, an ability to lose to anybody. Um, home, away, you name it. Not anybody, but you get the point. Again, I'll just keep it factual. Tennessee has five losses to sub-40 net teams. So what does beating Tennessee really mean? I mean, it's a nice win. You'd rather beat them than not. But just because you, you can beat Tennessee doesn't mean that you're headed in the right direction or turns something around. It just means you beat Tennessee. And outside of that, there's just really not much there. So I'm not ruling anything out. It's February 12th. But... Uh, you know, on Wednesday's last Wednesday's episode, I said I thought North Carolina would make the NCAA tournament and Kentucky would not. Um, I feel stronger about that today than I felt about it on Wednesday. It seems more likely to be true today than it than it seemed last week. As for Alabama, I sort of touched on this in the lead to the top twenty-five and one last week, uh, one day. And I believe we'd sort of addressed it on the podcast here or there, but I don't know. I was just trying to, I don't know how many casual fans recognize what type of sec season Alabama is having. 
because Alabama has never been ranked number one. Alabama got blasted by nearly 30 at Oklahoma a few weeks ago. And so those things have sort of hidden the fact that Alabama is having an all-time great SEC season right now. Crimson Tide went to Auburn, won on Saturday, tight game, pulled away late, won the game by eight. And so Alabama is now 12-0 and in the SEC and winning their league games by an average of 21.1 points. Ten of the 12 have been double-digit wins. The only two that haven't been, the Auburn game yesterday, and oddly, or not, maybe maybe there is an, an explanation for it, given that Mississippi State is really good defensively, but they, they, they beat Mississippi State by three. They beat Mississippi State by three at home, beat Auburn by eight on the road, Everything else is double-digit wins. They beat Kentucky by 26, beat LSU by 40, beat Vanderbilt by 57, winning their league games by an average of 21.1 points. The last team to start 12-0 in the SEC was Kentucky in 2015, that fabulous team that was 38-0 in the Final Four, went 18-0 in the SEC, had Devin Booker, had Carl Towns, had a bunch of other talented players, but probably too many because it, Devin Devin Booker didn't play the amount of minutes he should have played and honestly none of the great players on that team played as many minutes as they should have played which was cool for 38 games yeah and then and then and then it went the wrong way Kentucky 2015 is widely regarded as one of the best teams ever to not win a national championship the computer numbers back that up and that Kentucky team in 2015 that went 18-0 in the SEC had Devin Booker had Carl Anthony Towns They won their league games by 16.7 points. Alabama this season is winning its SEC games by an average of 21.1 points. I am not saying this version of Alabama is better than that version of Kentucky. What I am saying, because it's true, is this version of Alabama is beating SEC teams more badly, more consistently than that Kentucky team did. That's wild. I was told there are no great teams this year in college basketball. Bama's doing this and Purdue has a Mastodon. So <laughs> I'm just going to push back. I'm again going to just, I'm going to nudge back on it. That's all. When you look at what Alabama's doing, because it is a machine. And, and I would even argue that Alabama has not hit its peak. I think there's still more. Brandon Miller. Yeah, what? Is, tell, it to, tell that to Vanderbilt. I know. <laughs> Text Jerry Stackhouse right now and tell him you yeah. don't think Al- we've seen the best of Alabama because he. I, still, I, bet, I, still think I, I bet he'll say. I bet gear. he saw the best of Alabama. It's got another gear. So between that, I mean, that's that's really good perspective there on what it's doing within the context again, context of the SEC because we may well look back on April sixth and be talking about a championship winning Crimson Tide team in basketball. And say, yeah, but you know what? They lost 93-69 in Oklahoma. What the hell happened there? So it, there is the one random stinker in the in this run. Since that, I mean, that's the only loss in two months, man. Only loss. They're, they're looking tremendous. And Auburn put up a good fight. Uh, game was actually closer than the final eight-point margin, in my opinion. But it was a fun game, good game. But Bama's the better team, and it, and it exhibited that on on Saturday and getting the win and, and not messing around in doing that. And it, it maintains a two-game lead in the SEC uh, most might not realize this. GP obviously does, but your second place team in the SEC continues to be Buzz Williams, yeah. Texas A&M Aggies, which got the win on the road at LSU to say ten and two. And here's the deal: it goes Bama, 
then A&M two games behind. And then now Tennessee is two games behind A&M. So the likelihood here, likelihood, is that A&M is going to finish second place in the SEC. There's still some tricky ones. They got three road games remaining, and we'll see if they can get through it. But they're certainly pacing to, uh, to finish second, which is a surprise, but... GP had AM ranked in the preseason, so he was broadly speaking expecting to be AM in this spot. The way it's gotten there has been uh, they've how about another word? They've circumnavigated and Whoa. and and done it relatively quietly because there's not a lot of I'm gonna say it, there's not a lot of sex appeal with Texas AM. There's just yeah. not. What? I I would think that you have to agree. But you nevertheless, seen those Yale I, practices? I have not, and I'm thankful for it. Those are the most awkward things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> These goofy students, they go and they just they yell stuff. They like gather. They plan yeah, it. They do gather. They congregate is what they do. That's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah this, that, that, that's, that's weird behavior they're doing down there. Timothy in the chat says Paris looks like Buzz Williams' cousin. Well, you look like Mick Cronin's older brother so that's where we start we start with gp on that but yes he's got some brothers in the coaching fraternity no doubt I about wish, it. i would love to be buzz williams cousin i would trade any two of my actual cousins to be buzz oh. williams cousin any two any two any two you can pick them can you name all your cousins i don't even think i know all my cousins uh yeah i can i don't have a, i've got uh i've only got like nine or so i can name them all yeah like if you saw them all out in the wild You'd identify him. Like if you yeah. were just in an Applebee's one night, yeah. yeah, and one of your cousins was you, you would. There's no scenario where you could get seated in a booth next to your cousin and you wouldn't recognize him. Yeah, no, I got, I got that, I got that covered. Uh, uh, actually, you know what? I can't. You know what? I can't. You know why? Mm. Because my mother's younger brother had six kids. Whoa. And I can't name all six, so I can't name. But I, but they, they grew up in Alaska, so I never met them. I can't name all six, so I, I can give you, I can give you. Hello, <laughs> is it me or do we? Okay. What in the world? Where's our names at, by the way? <laughs> Whatever. Okay, okay. If you're listening, you don't know what just happened. It's all YouTube, so I can't. No, I. Yeah, I'm, I'm at like. So I forgot about the six on that side. So I'm at probably like 15 cousins. I can give you probably 13 out of 15. No, I'm not going to list them off right now. You have cousins who live in igloos. No. What if they, they live like, you know, they live like 20 miles, 20 miles from Fairbanks? Like, you know, they weren't. <laughs> I think everybody who lives in Alaska lives in an igloo. Is that true or not? That that would be called stereotyping. Not true. Yeah. yeah. Can you prove it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you ever seen an actual house in Alaska? Yes. My grandmother also. Rest in peace to my grams. She lived in a house in Alaska. So, yes, I, I I've. Yeah. Any I, chance any ch chance the Phelps family handled your grandmother's funeral? No, no chance. Not a chance. That would have been something. Did not happen. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You want to tour the rest of the, let's tour the rest of the weekend here. Other notable results from the weekend. Arizona lost at Stanford. Which which must have been like shocking for the Arizona fans who kept tweeting me uh, uh, we last go. week because uh, I dared to have Arizona outside of the top five and the top twenty five and one. I bet they couldn't believe Arizona would lose a game like that. Uh, Creighton extended its winning streak to eight, got a victory over UConn inside the Connor Oberst Arena, so that was nice for the Blue Jays. Oklahoma State beat Iowa State five straight wins for Mike Boynton's Cowboys. UCLA won at Oregon, beat the Ducks on that ugly court. Uh, Texas Tech caught Kansas State. Baylor won at TCU. Bears are now 9-1 and in their past 10. Indiana won at Michigan. Jed Howard. Woo. I discovered him. All right, just to re- I was thinking about uh, Just a reminder, I brought him up on the pod before you did, just so we're clear. But if you want to take credit, that's fine. But yeah, I, I discovered right. Jed Howard. Right, I discovered right. him at the Iverson Classic last summer. Yeah, and I discovered him before that on the recruiting trail. But whatever, <laughs> no, it's fine. No, no, I discovered him Iverson Classic last, like, June or something. Right. April, April or June. April or May or June, somewhere in there. I discovered him. It was in Bartlett. Um, airballed a jumper in the final seconds. You'll see that too often. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was like, and here's Jed Howard for the win. And like, Err. it looked like the it looked like the shot in the NC State national championship game. <laughs> except there was, there was nobody. That. Except there was nobody there to grab it and dunk it. Lorenzo Charles not in the building, not at the Chrysler Center. Boy, Jed Howard never <laughs> needed a Lorenzo Charles more in his life than he needed him yesterday. Mm-hmm. Providence fell at St. John's. Golden Gate Mike, big win. After Adam Zagoria reported that St. John's has no plans to replace Golden Gate Mike. Are you questioning Zags? I'm not. Uh, Zach Braziller, beat writer for the Johnnies, refuted that report. So I just Ooh, feel... Like, oh, where I they, oh, it's New York media beef? It is. I don't know if it's beef. It's just disagreement. Let's call yeah. it beef. It's New York media beef. I hope it Ooh, I think we know how this is going to happen. Uh, you know, Golden Gate Mike's going to cruise it to 19 wins again. He's going to stick on for one more year. That's how he does. That's how he rolls. I hope it doesn't escalate to gunfire. It will not. Okay. It will not. I would, why'd you go there? It will not. Well, sometimes things escalate to gunfire. We live that in will America. not. We live that in America. Will not. No, Anything can not. escalate to gunfire in America. Not, not, not with the great Golden Gate Mike. No, no, I mean, no, I mean between Zach and Zags. Okay, no, it's not either. No, Zags is at worst busting out a frisbee. Okay, what if Zags throws a frisbee at Zags' head? It's that uh, that I'm that a non-zero chance right there. Non-zero. If you caught a frisbee right there, that'd probably make you cough a little bit at least, right? Arizona. Loses at Stanford for the first time since 2009. It had won 23 of its last 25 games against the Cardinal. And the last time Stanford beat Arizona, a ranked Arizona team, back in 05. 05. Arizona was ranked 13th when that happened. Um, Weird one. Uh, Similar to how Filipowski had been going against what he had uh, been putting up from an average standpoint. Credit to Jared Haas, man. 
Azulis Tubelis came in averaging 27 points and 10 and a half rebounds in his past four games. He went for four points and no boards and four fouls. It shut him down. Shut him down. Credit to the Cardinal. Haas is in a hot seat situation. It's expected Stanford will move on from him at the end of the season. Coaches will take any kind of victories of any kind. But this, big time stuff. Good win. Happy for him. Happy for that staff. If you feel like losses like this one, like Arizona has now shown a few times here where it's just like it got blown out at Utah. It had the weird one at home against Wazoo. It got blown out against Oregon. The variability with Zona, it's it's on the table. I, I'm not as bullish as I once was about me thinking I might uh, might try and get cute and put Zona into the final four. I might have to pump fake on that. We'll see. But that was that was as surprising of a result, in my opinion, as any that we saw, even though that was on the road. Um, you mentioned Oklahoma State. Quick on o- Oklahoma State uh, and Baylor in the Big 12. Baylor's, uh, Baylor wins again. TCU is, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's on a three-game losing streak and is, is having some issues there, and, and so it goes. But Baylor, to me, it's right back in the Final Four conversation. In fact, I would even say, even hold off on Oklahoma State for a second. You mentioned Creighton. Creighton and Baylor were both preseason top 10 teams for different reasons. They started well. They dipped, kind of floated off the radar to a certain extent. Creighton much more because Kalkbrenner got mono. They dropped like six games in a row. Now Creighton's won eight in a row in Big East play won a grinder of a game. You know, if Jordan Hawkins steps back six more inches, it's a three instead of a two, and then they go to overtime. We'll see. You know, Duke had to go to overtime and lost. UConn didn't get the chance to go over to overtime, and it wound up losing. But Creighton and Baylor are the teams that I think have resurfaced as viable Final Four candidates in the February run here, and they both got good wins on Saturday. Oklahoma State is now a clear-cut tournament team as far as I'm concerned. It gave Iowa State its fourth loss in five games. Iowa State's only win in that stretch is against Kansas. Meantime, Oklahoma State wins on the road, is 7-1 and one in Big 12 games with Musa Cisse on the floor. That's their best defender. Musa Cisse might be the best player on Oklahoma State's roster. It's 7-1 and one in league play when he's on the court. The only loss with Musa Cisse playing in Big 12 games came by only two points against Kansas. Kansas. And, that's when, and that's when the ref screwed that one up. And it, it's all, I mean, it's all connected right now, man. It's all connected. So o- OSU, big time winner, has won seven of its last eight, by the way, against Iowa State. And uh, it doesn't get easier. Every single remaining game for the Cowboys is a quad one game. So they've got all these opportunities. They're going to take more losses. I think they're going to play their way into the tournament, though. I think they're going to have done enough there. They're now top 30 and five of the top uh, six team sheet metrics, five and six in quad one, three and two in quad two. They've got a November 10th home loss to Southern Illinois. That's a quad three L. So it's kind of it's dangling there. It's a little bit of a danger thing, but I think they'll uh, I think they'll be OK. But they came out. They came out damn well. So good for Oklahoma State. Good for Baylor. Flagler went for 28. He played awesome. Jonathan Shamwa Chachua. Played well again. Continues to be an awesome deal. Mike Miles still wasn't back. But Baylor gets a good win, and Creighton does as well. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Pitt won. I mean, it's still tied atop the ACC with Virginia. So, shouts to Pitt. You know, wins at FSU. You just got to, if you're going to be a tournament team, that's one of those things where no one's paying attention to that game aside from Pitt and FSU fans. But go on the road. Quietly get the win. Keep on pace. Don't hurt your resume. Good job by Jeff Capel's team. He's, he's in position to be the ACC coach of the year. They got a win and got it done. And I thought, I thought that was uh, 
quietly an important one in addition to you mentioned Indiana, which is now the clear-cut second-best team in the Big Ten, at least for now. We could look up in a week, and that's no longer the case. But uh, Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Hood Chafino again, it's a good team. They're going to get Xavier Johnson back soon. Once they do, Hoosiers, second weekend? Second weekend team? You buying in? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Right. I, wish Tom I wish Tom Fernelli were here. Tom Fernelli is he's he's loving it right now. Illinois beat Rutgers. Illinois eight and two in its last ten. I mean, do you have him in your top twenty five and one? Choo choo. Illinois back in the top twenty five and one this morning. Probably deservedly so. Illinois is yet to lose. Not to get blasted at Penn State. Hundred <laughs> percent chance. Oh, Penn State, man. Talk about a team that was that was there, 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 this is the worst game you could have after re-entering the top twenty-five and one. Because it's not even like a game at Indiana where people are like, Well, what are you I, gonna do? It's Indiana. Like it, Penn State's good. Like Penn State's better than Penn State usually is. Let's put it that way. Yeah. They could beat you there. And yet it's still it just like really you got back in the top twenty five and one, then you went and lost at Penn State. That's probably about what, what what's about to happen. But either way, for at least two days, I'm going to be on the Illinois train again. Choo-choo! The problem is that Illinois did this earlier in the season when it went win-loss, 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 win-loss for a month. And now it went loss-win. It is yet to lose two games in a row this season. Has not happened. But good signs for the Illini. Went on a 19-0 run in this game against Rutgers. And Rutgers at one point did not score a point for 10 minutes for 10 minutes. Rutgers is good, but it's, I think it's three and four and it's past seven. Um, I don't know. Big Ten's a uh, big Ten super, super weird. And, uh, but good win for Illinois as the big, uh, and again, we're recording this before Purdue plays Northwestern. Who the hell knows what's going to happen there? Michigan state's got to go into Columbus. I mean, if anything of note happens on those, we'll, We'll get to uh, we'll get to that on our next pod. I think that pretty much covers it, right? We're not we're not going to get to it. Okay, we'll just ignore it entirely. Fair. We're going to ignore it entirely. We're going to ignore it entirely. Before we get out of here, an update on the New Mexico State story. The program it was announced on Friday night Mm -hmm. has been suspended because of issues outside of the fact that one of its players shot and killed a person at New Mexico earlier this season. Been a wild story. Uh, Norlander, for folks who haven't followed it closely or at all, catch everybody up on on what's happening in, in Las Cruces. Outrageous story is happening in Las Cruces right now. I can't remember this happening. A program going on pause for non-COVID reasons in the middle of a season. It's undetermined at this hour as we record this podcast if New Mexico State will play another game this season. Friday night, it's announced that the, the the coaches have been suspended on administrative leave and the, the team's just on pause uh, since then. And we'll get to why that is. But since then, the New Mexico State Chancellor released a statement. Um, and I think speaking to the severity of this issue, New Mexico State had already gotten on its plane and flown to California for its game against Cal Baptist. It had gotten on the plane. It had landed. It was there. And then a police report was filed. As of the recording of this podcast, the details of that report have not been disseminated by local media. Uh, that will happen either Sunday or Monday at the latest. And 
in talking to a couple of sources, and this has been reported elsewhere as well, um, my understanding is that multiple players on New Mexico State's team uh, in in a non-isolated incident, so this happened multiple times uh, in recent weeks, if not months, have been uh, targeting a player on the team. I understand it's one player. Um, the term hazing has been used to me in things that have been speculated to me. I would say this might even be above hazing. Uh, it's degrading and uh, Completely unacceptable. I don't know if the details will eventually be made public or not. So I'm not going to speak to those. I'm not going to involve the players involved. I'm not going to name any of those people, any of those people, but it is an extremely serious issue. Now that the chancellor released a statement late Saturday, I'm going to read it in full here. It's four paragraphs. I'll be quick. Late yesterday at my direction, New Mexico State University suspended operations for our men's basketball program until further notice. We took this action after receiving reports of alleged hazing incidents within our men's basketball team. Our players and coaches were in California at the time preparing to play Cal Baptist to ensure we fully understood this situation. We canceled that game, called the team back to Las Cruces and placed the coaching staff on paid administrative leave. Once our student athletes arrived on campus, they were met and interviewed by university personnel who are specially trained to conduct investigations into these kinds of matters. The most important job I have as chancellor of the NMSU system is to ensure our students are safe and protected from harm. That's why I was so heartbroken and sickened to hear about these hazing allegations. Hazing is, is a despicable act. It humiliates and degrades someone and has the potential to cause physical and emotional harm or even death. Sadly, hazing can become a part of an organization's culture if left unchecked. NMSU policy strictly prohibits hazing in all forms, and it's something we simply will not tolerate. I realize many in our community have additional questions about these alleged incidents and about the future of the men's basketball team. In the near term, team operations remain suspended until further notice. We will share additional information as we can going forward. I don't believe Greg Heyer will keep his job. Some, some, many were shocked that he stayed on after the incident with, with Mike Peak earlier this season in which uh, he didn't fully cooperate with police to, to begin with. Kept his job, the staff... All of it. So there's going to be a coaching change when that happens. Um, we'll see if there's changes within the athletic department as well. My understanding where this moves going forward is that we will have an answer on New Mexico State's season by Monday at the latest. And by that, I mean whether it's going to continue playing this season because there are also, in addition, to, like the most important matter is getting to the bottom of what the hell happened inside this program, that locker room around those facilities and why a player on the, on the team was being targeted and humiliated. And, and this isn't like, take my bags to the bus. Okay. That's, this isn't take my plate. I just finished it and go and go. That's not what this is. From what I'm told, it's way more serious than that. And obviously if the chancellor is making this determination to halt the team, you know, it's, it's super, super serious from uh, a whack standpoint. They also have to figure this out, man, because there are other teams that have New Mexico State's not good. It's, it's at the bottom of the league, but they but they're scheduled to play games. And so from a standings perspective and, and getting your conference tournament together and who's going to play whom and is it going to be no contest? Is it going to be forfeits like that stuff actually needs to be determined and determined relatively soon. The next team on New Mexico State schedule is Abilene Christian, which is scheduled to play at New Mexico State on Wednesday. We will have an answer as to whether that game is canceled or if the season gets canceled, I, I would lean that if they don't play the Abilene Christian game, they're not playing any game. 
and they're just not going to play and they're just going to do the rare, if not unprecedented thing and just stop playing, put the program on pause and then just clean out the program here. We've also had two players already transfer out of the, out of the program since this happened. A freshman, Richard guard, Shahar Lazar. Uh, he tweeted that he was, he was, he was leaving. And then there was a walk on named Kent Olaweiler who tweeted, my recruitment is officially 100% open end quote. So that's about all of it. Uh, super disturbing story. And that program has been an utter disaster this season. And we're talking about a school GP, as you well know, that through multiple different coaches has made, has been the best program in the whack for a, a decade plus and made and made NCAA tournaments. This team just made the tournament. Now it was Chris Jans was the coach there, but less than a year ago, New Mexico State went to the tournament and upset UConn in the first round of the tournament, and then and then really gave Arkansas a scare. So uh, it's completely cratered, and I, I'm I send my genuine best to uh, to those that uh, that know and love uh, the alleged targeted player on the, on the team here uh, that was that was on the wrong end of this stuff because you know we obviously and quite clearly can't have can't have anything like this in any walk of life period but particularly in college basketball and hopefully we have resolution and more clarity on this you know really within the next twenty four hours. I had a coach text me yesterday and he was like, "So do you think somebody's going to get fired?" I'm like, yeah, "I think everybody's going to get fired, like everybody." Um, they, you know, and I know this is not connected to the Mike Leak story, but um, is it Leak or Peak? Leak, Peak, Peak. Peak I'm yeah. sorry, yeah, Mike Peak story. Um, but it's just they they mishandled the Mike Peak situation. I had a coach one time tell me, anytime he even gets an email suggesting something wild's going on in his program, he forwards it to compliance immediately. He's like, I'm not. I've got a 15 million dollar contract. I'm not losing it trying to protect. A, a young adult and that's never um, been something I've forgotten because I can't understand why every other coach doesn't take that approach. Like when you have an, a, a, a student, like think about this, forget about a basketball team. What if you were running a business and you had a young adult? Cause that's what it is in, in our profession. Too many people like to say the kids and these kids and the kids and kids, they're not kids. None of them. They're young adults. They're young adults. Imagine you're running a business and you employ, you know, 15 young adults. And one of them is involved in a shooting that results in a death. If the cops come to you, you're like, what do you need? To, what do you need? Just tell me what you need. You need to talk. You, yeah, here, yeah, there he is. Go talk to him and let him, let the, the young adult handle it. The idea that this coaching staff was at least initially keeping law enforcement officials away from talking to potential witnesses because I need to talk to my athletic. You don't need to talk to your athletic director. You need to say, oh, you're telling me some young adults that I supervise might have been involved either directly or indirectly in a, 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 the, the, the killing of a player, of a, of a person. You need to talk to them. Well, I'll tell you where they're at. And if they want to hire lawyers before they talk, that's up to them. But I'm not going to stand in the way of anything. In this case, you've got an assistant coach with the with the weapon. Yeah, you've got a bus leaving Albuquerque. Just a whole lot of things that getting flagged down by the authorities, like lights on, pull over situation. Like, 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 like maybe I would be the worst coach in the world, but if one of my players 
was involved in a shooting that resulted in the death of a person, we're going to sit right there and whatever you ask of me, you get from me because I ain't about to lose my job over this idiot. And I should I should take that back. There's nothing necessarily idiotic about what happened with Mike Peake here. Uh, other than he was breaking curfew and had a weapon. I mean, I guess that is idiotic. But he thought, for people who don't know the story, he thought he was going to meet a girl. He thought he was hooking up. And it was a, a, a trap. They yeah. lured him to, to retaliate for something that had happened at a, at a previous event. So whether that's idiotic or not, I, I, I guess I can't say for sure. But um, there's no way I'm risking my job. I guess this is the simplest way to put it, to try to protect or anything. Some player who's involved in something like this, whether they're in the right or the wrong. And the idea that this staff, not completely, but at least in certain parts of the staff, um, didn't properly handle this or fully cooperate is just wild to me because every one of these guys, and, and unless you know, unless I'm surprised, every one of these guys is gonna be looking for jobs. And when this is gonna be on your resume, good luck. Yep. Uh, I, I presume when we talk on Wednesday, we'll have uh, everything that we need on that on that story. But the way that it's trending, um, I'll say this: I'm not putting it out of the realm of possibility that New Mexico State resumes its season and continues playing games. I think that is on the table. But my lean is that this team is not going to play again this season, and the WAC is going to try and figure out what what it needs to do and how it's going to fix with scheduling and all that stuff. We will uh, we will see on that. Quick, uh, let's get out of here. But quick heads up: Monday night games, West Virginia at Baylor. West Virginia got rolled. I mean, another good time for Texas. Didn't even mess around on Saturday. West Virginia is going to play at Baylor and try and improve its tournament resume. It's still in the mix, but it, it was non-competitive there uh, on Saturday. Miami plays at UNC on Monday night. That's obviously a very compelling game. The Hurricanes actually got they got a little bit of a push from Louisville. Credit to Louisville, 93-85. But, uh, but the Canes got the win, and now we'll see if UNC can win back-to-back home games, continue its, its really good standing there. So that's Monday to know. And then Tuesday, Kansas and Oklahoma State, as previously noted there. Creighton goes to Providence, plays plays at the dunk. Yes, I'm still calling it the dunk. That's a good one on Tuesday. Illinois at Penn State, as, G, as GP mentioned. And then Kansas State, which got dropped by Texas Tech. And now Kansas State's lost three of four and four of its past six. It's going to go play at an Oklahoma team that is now under 500. Um, so if K-State, you know, this is a get-right game, if you will, but Oklahoma beat Alabama, so I guess there are no true get-right games. Those are some of the biggest and most notable games over the next two nights. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Kyle Guy. Thank yeah. you guys once again for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And Spotify over at Apple, five stars, nice review. Type some words. There's more of us than there are of them. Needs to be reflected in the comments. Like Deadleg said, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Enjoy your Super Bowl if you're listening to this before the Super Bowl. If you're That's listening right. to this after the Super Bowl, I hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. We'll talk to you again soon. Later, guys. Bye-bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. 
and Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.